and 16. It says, And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah his daughter and brought her to him, and he went in unto her. And Laban gave his daughter Leah Zilpah his maid for an handmaid. It came to pass, and in the morning, behold, it was Leah. What a shock. And he said to Laban, What is this thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve with thee for Rachel? And wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? Laban said, It must not be, it must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet another seven years, or seven other years. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel his daughter to wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel his daughter Billa, his handmaid to be her maid. And he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah and served with him yet seven other years. I want you to look at verse 25. The Bible says there, And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And I want to preach to you on this thought. In the morning, it was Leah. Let's ask the Lord to touch our hearts here this evening. Lord, I am, again, thankful, Lord, for your word. I know, God, that your word can serve as, Lord, life principles. Lord, it can serve as, as things that would point us in a direction, God, to, Lord, strengthen our spiritual service for you. And I pray, Lord, tonight... That God, that even in, in this sanctuary, that God, that there's going to be some principles that's going to flow out of this, Lord, this story. And I ask you, Lord, to not to let those things be an encouragement and, an, and a strength, Lord, to those that hear this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I would... Uh, just say here to you tonight that this uh, passage of Scripture, this story that I have read uh, here to you that through the ages that this uh, text has been a, 
uh, I guess if you want to call it that, it's been a, a famous sermon. And uh, I can remember whenever I was in Bible college uh, 30 years ago, I heard uh, this message preached. And over the years, I suppose I've heard uh, it preached, I don't know, three or four, maybe five times. Uh, I've never ventured into this to preach it just as a, a specific message for myself, but uh, I would, you men that uh, know about Brother J.H. Osborne, uh, I'm sure you can track it down on YouTube or somewhere that you can hear Brother Osborne preach uh, from this text, and, and he certainly is a great preacher and can certainly stimulate your thoughts and your mind about this particular passage and story that's in the Word of God. Whenever you start looking at biblical stories like this, you have to realize that, that the purpose of God is what is really there to unfold. And, and God works with man through what we would consider or call dispensations. It started back in the Garden of Eden, the Bible uh, tells us that there is that age of innocence. You know about that. It lasted up until uh, Adam and Eve sinned, and there was a fall that was that was involved in that. And uh, then, after the fall, God's plan started unfolding, and uh, there was the matter of human government. There was uh, the law. There was the age of promise, and I'm getting them out of order, but. Uh, then now we are at a place called the dispensation of grace. It will be followed by the millennial reign of Christ. And yet you look at those, and, and some of those were at varying time lengths, but, but it's not so much about the time as it is how God uh, worked and dealt with people during uh, that particular period of time. And, and literally... What it was was that God was fulfilling His will and His purpose throughout uh, all of that that lasted. And so whenever you start to consider that, I, I believe that, that all of us here tonight, that we ought to desire the purpose of God uh, in our lives. There ought to be something about all of us that we desire uh, a sense of revival and spiritual awakening and and uh, a purpose that God has worked out in our lives to believe it, to pray about it, to hope for it, and to seek after it more than anything else that literally is in uh, your life. Because you're going to navigate through various stages of life that at times that whenever you give thought and consideration to it, you're going to think, man, this is just so backwards and this... Uh, is, is so messed up the way that God is allowing my life to unfold. There, there's so many other things that I perhaps would rather uh, be doing, but yet know this, that there will come a time in your life when every step that you've taken, every path that you felt like you had to meander down and every dark valley that you had to navigate through, the Lord will show you the purpose and it won't be just the, just the purpose of that, but there will be a, a spiritual purpose in life that uh, will somehow help you to understand, to say that, that God had my best interest at heart. 
And so whenever I read this story to you here tonight, this text shows Jacob at a, at a place that, uh, where that his purpose really is about to get started. Now we know about the deception that he was involved in and how that uh, he and his mother deceived Isaac and, and uh, they mixed up some stew while Esau was out in the field and, and Jacob went along with that and, and, and deceived uh, Isaac and he got the birthright and then he is fleeing and he's running out and uh, he's literally in fear of his life while uh, Esau is pursuing after him. And so whenever you start giving that, that's kind of the background behind uh, this text here. But, but when we get to this story, there, there is a shock factor that is involved in that. I, I mean, come on, you, you, you're like, how in the world uh, can something like that happen? Shocked at the fact that Laban has, has deceived him and he is, is shocked that his dream has not, uh, I mean, he, he wants Rachel. Rachel is the desire of his heart and now he, he, he's, he's shocked that that, uh, is not taking place, and and uh, I, I got a feeling that not only is there a shock factor, but he's probably pretty angry. Now you think about how in the world could that could that happen? That he's worked for 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 Rachel, and then they have this ceremony, this wedding, and and uh, then he gets to the place, and and uh, they usher the bride in, and then the next morning he wakes up and it's Leah. Now you say, how in the world could some, some such as that happen? Let's use our imagination a little bit. First of all, they're, they're intense. It's dark. There's not a lot of artificial light. I got a feeling that Jacob, uh, if there's any historical fact, that probably there uh, was some wine that was going and being mixed and mingled and that, Jacob probably is a little bit tipsy, and, and during that period of time, it was not uncommon for women uh, to wear a veil, and so he ends up, it's dark, he's drunk, or getting there, and, and then he wakes up in the next morning, and it's, it's Leah. I'll progress on and not get... Pull your imagination back in here and, and uh, work with me here, okay? But this is a, this is a Bible story. And a lot of times when you read the Bible, you, you have a tendency to want to sanitize it. But there, there's no way to sanitize this story. It, it, it is deception. It, it's, 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 it's weird. It's odd. And yet God's in the middle of it. Now, it's important for me to tell you I'm a, I'm a preacher and I know that I'm about to violate some laws of hermeneutics. That's the science of Bible interpretation. And uh, I'm going to violate some homiletics tonight because this story is about God's purpose. This story is not about me and you. But I am going to make it tonight about me and you. And so if you'll just work with me, I'll violate hermeneutics and homiletics and 
biblical theology and systematic theology, and then I'll try to get veered back into what I'm supposed to do my next outing. But let's talk about this here for a minute. Let's, let's talk about these characters. What, what is Jacob? What does he represent? I, I would say that for the sake of what we're doing, let, let's let Jacob represent us. And let, let's let Laban represent the work of the Spirit. Let's let Rachel, she's the vision, she's the desire. That's, that's what we're after. And then poor Leah, she represents everything that you don't want in life. If, if we had a choice, we would run from Leah. And so it is that, that Jacob comes along and he's, his vision is, is about Rachel. And, and that's what he expected to get. He expected positive. He expected cute. He expected attractive he expected lovely, and he ended up with Leah. The Bible is kind in its description of her. It says she was tender-eyed. And somebody said, well, what does tender-eyed mean? It means tender-eyed. That's some pretty, that's some pretty profound preaching right there, isn't it? And so that's what that's what Leah's about. Rachel, man, she's just oh, she's just that's Jacob. That's that's what I'm after. I want Rachel more than anything in in my life. And and there's times where that that our vision, what does it look like? It it has success. We we see productive. We see resourceful. We see fruitful. We see that famous word success. That's what we see. And so it is that God calls us to a place sometimes that just like it is with, with Jacob's life, there are hidden parts of the dream that the Lord did not show Joseph. He, he shows Joseph the, the, all the, the fantastic. He sees the, the, the sheaves bowing down. He sees the... The sun, the moon, the stars. He sees them being in a place, but the Lord does not show him. He doesn't show him Potiphar's wife. He doesn't show him the pit that he's going to be in. He doesn't show him the prison. There are hidden parts of the dream that, that are not expressed there. And so there is, is Jacob so disappointed that next morning to find Leah. Now here's where Bible geography plays in. He's somewhere between 400 and 450 and 500 miles away uh, from his, his house. And, and uh, yet his vision, we had in mind these, these great success. I can remember whenever I went to Bible college sitting uh, in those classes and they bring those pastors in and these guys pastored big churches. And I can remember sitting in there and Thinking, man, that's what I want to do. I want to pastor a big church. I want to, I want to do all of this and be successful. And, and I want to have all the trappings that I, as a conference preacher. And, and to go here and to do that and to be that. Why does that? Because it appeals to you sometimes. 
And if you want to disagree with me, that, that's your prerogative. But whenever ministry sometimes gets presented, now I do believe I was, was called for the right reason, but sometimes our motives get so out of whack whenever we start looking at what God has called us to do. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm in my mid-20s, and I'm listening to these guys, and, and I start sipping the Kool-Aid. I start thinking, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And, and uh, you get this stuff down, and, and I can remember at night, there was a place there at St. Luke's Texas Heart Institute where that just right outside of one of the intensive care units, there was a fire escape, and uh, one of the uh, security guards there had, had showed me how to get outside and sit out there on that, that, those steps up above Holcomb Boulevard there in Houston. And I'd sit out there and I'd just daydream, man, it's going to be this and, and it's going to be that, and, and uh, just daydreaming, thinking about Rachel thinking about, man, that's what's going to happen, and I'm going to go home, and man, I'm going to go somewhere. I didn't think home. I, I thought, Brother Mark, I thought it was gonna, somebody's going to be at, they're going to recruit me, and man, I'm going to be somewhere, and it's going to be big time, and, and I'll come home for Christmas and, and, uh, and, 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 and kiss the babies and, and uh, hug all my old Sunday school teachers and and so on and so forth. That that's what I'll do, and I'm going to go really do something awesome and and powerful for God. That's what Rachel was. Rachel is just like, oh man, that's what I'm after. That's what I'm pursuing. But the fact is, is that you find out that nobody's interested in you. There are no phone calls. There's no offers, and uh, you end up where God wants you. Now, be careful before you start criticizing, well, he's too good for Dothan, etc. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that I was just like most of you whenever you were young and you were growing up. You're like, I'm going to get out here and I'm going to set the world on fire and I'm going to do this and that and the other. And then life happens to you and you wake up and you're like, this ain't Rachel. This is Leah. Leah, what, what are you doing in this tent with me? Or where's Rachel at? He storms out and what, what, what does Leah look like? People that aren't impressed with you. People that have horrible attitudes. People that are lazy and, and you talk about revival and they just kind of, they're, they're like revival. I'm, I'm interested in, in ball. I'm interested in the Crimson Tide. I'm interested in War Eagle. I'm interested in a vacation. I'm interested in a boat. You talking about, I need to be up here knocking on doors and I need to be praying for revival. Yeah, that's, that's what I'd like. That's what Rachel is. But you're there with Leah. People actively working to box you out. I'm going to give you a principle here and it's this is that before God moves us forward, He may close some doors and you've got to learn how to be productive with something that you didn't seek for. I'm going to read that again to you. This is a principle that before God moves us forward, 
He's got to close some doors and you may have to learn to be productive with something that you didn't seek after. And so what does that look like? Well, God's purpose was to make Jacob fruitful with Leah. And so how is he going to do that? Well, look with me to verse 32 if you still have your Bible open there. The Bible says, let's start in 31. The Bible says, and and when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived, and she bare a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband, he will love me. Le- Leah knew. She knew. Jacob don't want me. He wants my sister. He he loves Rachel. He he don't want to have anything to do with me. He doesn't want to have anything that I'm about. He's he's disinterested. Now where's Jacob at? Let's pull back to Jacob's point of view. Jacob is pining for, for Rachel. He, he's, he's after her, but we can pine for Rachel all we want. But you're going to have to be fruitful where you are before Rachel becomes fruitful. And I've seen more than a few bounce around from here to there and never really settle long enough for God to use them because they're dissatisfied with Leah because they're chasing Rachel. I, I had friends of mine that I graduated with from Bible college, and they, man, they're, I used to keep up with them. This is the days before Facebook, and you'd hear them, and uh, they'd be doing this or that or the other, and I think, oh, my Lord, I, I was going to set the world on fire and either one or two things, my matches are either wet or I've lost them. And I think, wow, man, these guys are are doing so much. But here is what needs to happen. God sends us to some places so that we can die. He, He puts us in places where that he's trying to strip things out of our lives that otherwise they would not be stripped away if we got Rachel first. And so the Lord says, I tell you what I'm going to do with you, I'm going to send you somewhere and I'm going to let you die right there. Because here's some things that needs to die that probably needed to die in me. Selfishness and self-centeredness and jealousies and, and self-importance and things that your world orbits around you. And the Lord says, you know what? i got a bigger purpose for your life, but here's what I've got to do with you. I've got to get you in a tent with Leah before I can ever let you get a hold of Rachel. And here's the thing. If we refuse or resist the dying places and the stripping places, we will never fulfill the purpose of God that's in our lives. Now, I'm going to make some personal references here. I, I had a, I had a, Hot shot rock star pastor to come to me and tell me this during that period of time. He said, 
I'm going to tell you what you need to do, Philip. You need to leave Dothan. You, you need to get out of there. Joe Patterson is a harmless old man. He said that 30 years ago. And, and Brother Patterson preached to you this morning. And this guy, his life, church, has just kind of fizzled out. And now the harmless old man... But when you hear stuff like that and you're, you're impressionable and you're 25, you're like, well, you know, maybe, maybe I need to stretch out and, and go. And then there was another friend of mine that came through here, was a missionary, and, and uh, I had to work the next morning. He was here on a Sunday night, and I said, hey, I want to catch up with you. He was staying over in, in the old missions apartment over in the student building now before we done an awesome job with it, turning into Sunday school rooms. And uh, he was over there, and I said, hey, I, I, I want to go eat with you and, and uh, hang out with you. I remember going on that Monday night. I remember still where I took him to. I took him to Things and Wings, okay? This was in about 1994, something like that. Things and Wings at that time, man, it was the ticket, boy. It was, it was awesome. And so we went to Things and Wings, and I got the appetizers, those fried mushrooms. And uh, we're sitting there at the table. He said, I'm, I'm going to tell you something, Philip. You, you need to get out of Dothan. You're, you're root bound. And, 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 and here I am. I'm trying to seek out the will and the purpose of God. And I'm listening to somebody that I think has my best interest at heart. So I'm going to tell you what that did to me. It sent me back over there in that sanctuary and late night prayer meetings. God, please, you you got to open some doors up. you gotta, you got to let me go. And the Lord's like, no, no, I'm going to keep you with Leah. You, you've got to stay here with Leah. Can I tell you what Reuben's name means? Reuben was a gift that was given to Leah in her affliction. And there are gifts that comes to every one of us in this house here tonight. That in the middle of your place where you feel like God's forgot you and you feel like it's uphill both ways, there's never any downhill, and I'm always trying to swim against the current, and there aren't any breaks, and nobody's trying to help me. The Lord said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do drop you a gift in right there in your affliction and so what I had to learn how to do was to do this and put fingers in my ears and tell people oh no Joe Patterson is not a harmless old man and no I'm not being root bound right here I'm right where God wants me to be and I'm going to do my best to get the blinders up and serve God until he moves me somewhere else Amen. now bless God bless Sister Pierce's heart oh man I just want to I don't hug women but I just want to hug her she said something to me here a few weeks ago she said now Brother Harrelson all this, all this, go she didn't say it like this, I'm taking license with it, okay? She said, all this going, this coming and going that you're doing, 
She said, you, you need to stop that because somebody's going to get you and take you away from here. And I said, Sister Pierce, don't, don't worry about that. I said, y'all are stuck with me until you run me off. And I just want to tell you that here tonight that y'all are stuck, okay? I couldn't leave when I was 20. I'm stuck here. I'm not leaving now when I'm in my mid-50s. Well, I... I was nervous there for a minute. I hope you want me to stay around for a little while. We got a lot of work to do. We still got a lot of forward progress we got to make while we're while we're here. But 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 listen, that here's the part where that you've got to figure it out that that there it was it was that Leah was in a place of 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 affliction. And brokenness and suffering and disappointment. But what Leah did was she she had that she had that child she had that that gift, Reuben. Let me tell you what you got to do there. There are times where that that you've got to fight through things. And you've got to get, let it get you to a place where that there is discipline and there's loyalty and commitment. And I cannot forget to tell you prayer that's mixed in with that. If, if you will let God get you into a place where that instead of you arguing with God to get you gone from a place, but that if you will some way, if you'll let God get you into a place of prayer, then there are things that can happen in your life. Here's, here's one of the things that happened. This was around 1994. I went to Because of the Times from 1988 until 2006 and every year when I was still working at the hospital I was always scared that I wasn't going to be able to get my vacation and not going to be able to get off or I was going to have jury duty or I was going to get sick and I wasn't going to be able to go to because of the times I, I, I would get so much encouragement and inspiration there at, um, at because of the times and so uh, from 88 until 06 I went well in 94 I was sitting there and I was Sitting with John Boone, who's a pastor in Lepkin, Texas, and I was sitting with with Brent Rochelle, who's a pastor in Dyersburg, Tennessee, and I thought I'm I'm gonna do something to encourage these guys, and so I had them, and then I picked up six others, six other men, and uh, and one of them was just a chance. I I picked up, I thought I'm gonna send Brother Mangan, and I'm gonna pull Brother Mangan into this, and so I I got home. And I started writing a letter. I still remember March. I still got a notebook upstairs. It's got all of those letters. I called them the Barnabas letters. That, that was before the internet. That was before any of that. I wrote those letters and I would copy them and I would fold them and put them in, a, in an envelope and stamp them and send them. And I started with eight. I ended up writing something like 22, 25 of those letters, and before it was all said and done, it kind of leaked out, and and uh, I'd get pastors that would call me and say, "Hey, can you add my name to your to your list there?" And I I would do that, and and uh, before it was all said and done, when I'd write a letter, it would about break the bank. Uh, I I would send out a little over a hundred letters and just let them go elsewhere. Those Barnabas letters ended up 
morphing into in 2006 to the Barnabas blog and and I have sorely neglected that but uh, recently I looked at those stats there that Google keeps for that and here's the thing that out of that place of of discouragement and out of that place of affliction and trouble. I thought I've got to, I've got to write, I've got to encourage, I've got to do something. And now the Barnabas blog has had more than a million unique visitors that have come through that blog, and I've written hundreds of entries on that blog. There, all of that started way back then when somebody told me I needed to leave, and that I was root bound. I want to tell you here today in this church that when God calls you to be involved in local ministry he can equip you and it will so far go beyond what your expectations are you will be shot but what if I'll get to that in a minute so I'll leave you with this another principle is productivity can take place whenever you're in a place where you don't necessarily want to be I wanted to be in the youth department that's where all the cool guys are at. The cool young ministers, they're in the youth department. I made reference to this here a few weeks ago. I, I'm in the Sunday school department with a bunch of old men, guys my age, which I don't think is very old right now. But here I am, I'm in my mid-20s, and I'm hanging around with a bunch of guys in their mid-50s, and, and the youth guys that walk by, and, and they laugh, and, they, and I'm like, oh, man, Lee, Rachel, 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 don't leave me. I don't want to be stuck here with Leah, Ray, Rachel, Rachel. And I need to move on. Look at verse 33. Here's what the Bible says. And she conceived again Leah. And she bare a son and said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. N notice what she says. Because the Lord has heard. The Lord will force you into a place where that you are heard, but that generally is going to come because you pray. Can God hear us? Yeah, He can hear us, but He can really hear us when we get on our knees and we start praying. And... Uh, and affliction and trouble can move you to prayer. And so here's what the Lord does with that. When you start praying, the next thing you know, He starts sending people into your life. And they move you and they encourage you and they help you. And so for me, it was Brother Twyman, Hugh Twyman. He passed away here several weeks ago and I was unable to go to his Funeral. I was at a board meeting that day, our district board, and and uh, of course Brother Davidson and, and one of our other presbyters was there, and the rest of us were in in that board meeting. I wish we'd have counseled the board meeting, and all of us would have went there. But Brother Twyman was was uh, whatever he recognized. I don't know if he recognized something in me, but but uh, here here's what he did. He he went and he said, I, "I tell you what, Brother Harrelson," he said. You, I can't be in Bessemer. We go around all over Alabama and do the SOC rally, Save Our Children rallies. And he said, there are two of them that are on the same night. We got one in Bessemer and we got one in North Alabama. And he said, I know you work 
He said, so I'm going to let you, as soon as you get off of work, if you can get the Bessemer and go up there, and if you'll preach that rally and do the Sunday school presentation, he said, then I'll be further north in the state. And so I, I said, okay, I, I can do that, Brother Twyman. Well, in the meantime, I had written a Bible study called The Believer's Armor, and I tried my best. I still got a copy of it. I tried to find it before. I should have should have. Started looking two weeks ago, but anyway, uh, I've still got I've got one copy of it left. It's a maroon deal. It's got the comb folder. Well, I had written that, and I asked Brother Twyman. I said, "Can I make copies of that and maybe just kind of sell them at these rallies?" He said, "Of course, go up there and do that." And so, Brother Patterson and Sister Patterson. Sister Patterson was working at Gold Co. at the time. Brian Applefield that owned like thirty something. Uh, Burger Kings at the time we went up there to the office and we made copies of that Bible study and uh, I was doing the copies Brother Patterson was doing the sorting Teresa was doing something and Sister Patterson was putting holes in that part and I think Teresa was putting the combs inside of that so I, I gathered up those things and I took them with me and I got up there and I I, right before I preached I said now you know I, was, I, gotta re I was embarrassed to do it I shouldn't have been but I was I said, I, I wrote a little, you know, some notes here. If you're interested in buying them, they're not really that good. I said something because I, I didn't want to promote myself so much. And uh, but I said, but I, I, I can sell these things to you, and, and I'll sell them for $10 a piece. I mean, they sold like hotcakes. And uh, then the next week unfolded. And Brother Twyman called me and said, hey, said Brother Lewis, who at the time was our district superintendent, Said, Brother Lewis called me and been a little pushed back. Said, you need to call Brother Lewis and and uh, talk to him and, and so forth. He said, but I'll, I'll talk to you after you talk to Brother Lewis. And so I called Brother Lewis and Brother Lewis said, Brother Harrelson, I, I want to I tell you this. He said, now here's the way this is going to work. He said, if anybody asks you if I've called you, you tell them I've called. He said, but don't tell them the content of the conversation. You just tell them that I have called. He said, because here's what's happened. They have said, some of the district board members that were in their 50s and early 60s, said, these guys say that you're trying to promote your own ministry. And I've seen your notes, and, and uh, what I want you to do is I want you just to keep doing what you're doing, and I want you to continue to sell those notes but just in case somebody asks you, you tell them that you have talked to me and you just keep doing what you're doing. And so I did that. I'm just going to tell you this, okay? My feelings were hurt. My world was crushed. I'm like, oh, dear goodness, I'm not trying to promote myself. I'm just trying to put resources in people's hands, and I want to help them to be able to teach and preach in their churches, especially pastors that are bivocational, that they'll have some material in their hands so when they come running home from work and, and they're there in their churches, they can have something ready to go, similar to what I pass out to you here on Wednesday nights. And I kept doing that. And it rocked around. wasn't too long after that. Brother Twyman said, I need you to go preach in such and so. And so I went up there and preached in such and so. And this guy that had complained, it was his church. And I got up and preached last night, just or preached that night, just like I normally preach. And after service, 
this guy's wife, man's wife, she she caught me on the way out, and he was standing there, and she's like, oh, my goodness, I I just love that preacher. It was just so good. It, it was so wonderful. What wasn't it? She called his name, and he's standing there, and, and he's, he's grinning like a mule that's eating briars. And I'm like, wow, the Lord works in mysterious ways. And uh, camp meeting later on because we did all the SOC rallies in March and April. We got to camp meeting. He come up to me. He apologized. He said, Brother Harrelson, he said, I, I read your notes. And he said, I want you to know I apologize. He said, I misread you, what you were trying to do. There's two lessons I'm going to point out. And some of those are from me. And that's this. It's now that I'm that age, mid-50s, pushing on 60, is that whenever these young 20 and 30-year-olds come along, am I going to stand back and crush them? Or am I going to do something to inspire and encourage and say, attaboy, go at it. Just keep your heart right. Keep, keep your knee down and keep your head up and keep your eyes wet. And if you can do that, God can do so much in your life. We've got to be careful. And I'm talking to some of us elders now. You've got to be careful that whenever you start locking down on these kids that are in their late 20s and early 30s because you're going to stifle because it very easy could have been that I said, well, I got my feelings hurt. And I'm just going to quit and throw in the towel. Now let me say this to all you people. Not y'all, nobody would ever get their feelings hurt in this church. I know that, okay? But for people that are prone to getting their feelings hurt, I'm just going to tell you, you need to get some, some, you need to get your, some, a hard head, and you just need to press on and say, you know what, God's called me to do something. I've got to fulfill my purpose because there's coming a day that the gift that I have inside of me, that the Lord's going to say, what did you do with the talent? And so again, I feel awkward about doing this, okay? But what if I would have quit writing? That means that there would have been no word of flame press, Sunday school notes that are, are lessons that I wrote for, for right at 12 years, those hardbound deals. You look in the front of that, and there's my name in that. Forgive me for this personal reference. It's awkward for me to do that, but I'm just trying to make a point here to you tonight. There's an apostolic study Bible that my name is in the front of it. What if in 94 I would have said, I'm tired of Leah. Give me Rachel. I wonder how many positive ministry things could have happened because people quit. I went to a big conference one time and I got contacted by Pentecostal Herald, which is now Pentecostal Life, and the editor said, I want you to write a church about, or I want you to write an article about the emergent church. And so I wrote an article about that. I show up at this huge conference and uh, get there and, and, and the month, it comes out in December, the conference was in January, and one of the main speakers gets up and starts mocking that article, and while I'm sitting there, everybody's like turning around, smiling, grinning, like, hey, I shouldn't have wrote that article, should I? 
I'm just going to tell you what I figured out. The pen is mightier than the sword, and if you can write, you can change your world because if people can read it, it's going to connect with them more so than the spoken word that we preach. I need to move on. Let's look at verse 34. Here's what happens. The Bible says she conceived again, and she bare a son. Boy, fertile myrtle is Leah. And now this time will my husband be joined unto me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name is going to be called Levi. I, I know I'm going to hear it when I get home. One of y'all got extra room I can come stay in tonight? <laughs> What, what, what are we looking at here? I'm, all, I'm getting toward being done. I got my timer. I got four minutes and eight seconds left. Uh, th this speaks of a union with the Lord because out of that relationship that you have with God, the next thing you know, there's a connection with the Lord that you won't have anywhere else. And so it is, what, what connection are you talking I'm talking about connection with a spouse, with friends. And so here's a question. What contribution are you making to your spouse? Because one of these days, the Lord is going to say, Philip, okay, bring Teresa up. And the Lord's not going to look at the outward Gonna look at the inward. What, what kind of what kind of wounds has my words caused? What kind of ex, ex, what what kind of damage have my expectations done to the inside of her inner man, inner woman? By the same token, the Lord's gonna have me there. Teresa, let's look at let's look at Philip's heart. What kind of how's your words and your actions have have they built him? Have they encouraged him? Have they helped him? Or have you been? And she's not. Even though I've said this morning, her and Lauren run my life. And anyway, I love my wife dearly. In fact, much of my Success probably has been very much, she's been a huge part of it. But nag, fuss, whine, gripe. It's getting tense now, isn't it? Because you see, this thing is more than us just coming in here, clapping our hands and singing, praying and doing this. But what does God look like in our homes? What does God look like in my marriage? What does God look like in my kids? Move on, it's tense. Look at verse 35. The Bible says, And she conceived again and bare a son. And she said, Now will I praise the Lord. And therefore she called his name Judah. 
and she left bearing. People come to church with no prayer, no word, no consecration, full of bitterness, unforgiveness, jealousies, critical spirit. And then you say, let's praise the Lord. And they can hardly praise the Lord for 15 or 30 seconds. And they can't praise God. Why? It's all this stuff on the inside. And Leah got to the place where I said, I know Jacob don't care for me. I know Jacob doesn't have much for me. But this fourth child, Judah. I look around this place. And we're not nearly where I want us to be. But I look at what the Lord has done. And I'm just, I can't help it. I can't help it, y'all. That when you walk in here, you're like, oh, I thank God. Thank God for the music. Thank God for the attitude of prayer. Thank God for the holiness. Thank God for what's taking place. And yet we can't be proud because there's so much more that God wants to do. But Judah has showed up in my life and my marriage is together and my children are saved. My grandchildren are here. And and so sometimes the reason that people cannot praise for more than 30 seconds is because they have no relationship with God and God would not give, he, he, he would not let Rachel be fruitful until Jacob was finally at the place to realize that he could appreciate Leah. Sister Regina, if you could come to the piano, please. The scripture I didn't give to you, uh, Clay and Matt, Genesis 49 and 31. Would you put that up for me, please? The Bible says, There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife, and they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife, and there I buried Leah. And so it is that whenever it's time for Jacob to die, he's outlived Rachel and he's outlived Leah. And uh, they're standing around like Reuben and Gad and Asher and Simeon, Levi. Naphtali, Joseph. Hey, 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 Dad, you're you're about to you're about to go. Where do you wanna where do you wanna be buried? Tell you what, fellas, y'all bury me with, with Leah. So here's the last principle that I leave with you. The hardest times are the greatest times. The challenging times. The challenging times. Y'all know there was a group of men that 
called Brother Patterson in the early 70s to a Shoney's restaurant. Brother Mike was with him. He told Brother Mike to sit in the booth over him. He sat down at the table with four other guys, Pentecostal pastors. They said, we're going to destroy you. We're going to tear your church to pieces. You're never going to be successful. In a matter of time, all of those threats that came from those men, their churches have long since fizzled out and departed. And here, the harmless old man still plugging along. But it's in the middle of the adversity. It's in the middle of the challenges of your life. It's in those moments where you're stuck with Leah. That when it comes time for you to pass on, hey, you know, I'd, I'd really like to be buried by Leah because there were so many fruitful things that came out of my life in the midst of the struggle. And so stop complaining, stop whining. Develop your gift. Develop your gift in adversity. And do the will of God. Get the laziness out of your life. Get the excuses out of your life. And say, God's called me to do something. I'm going to do His will. I want to pray for you. Our gracious God, I am thankful, Lord, for every bit of the challenges. Even though at the time, Lord, I thought that I was going to be swept under. Times, Lord, where that we feel like that we're losing our grip. Wonder, Lord, if you're even present. But now from the place, Lord, of looking back, you have been a gentle shepherd. Your word is right. Your gentleness is what makes us great. And Lord, I pray tonight, I know, Lord, that there are people in this congregation that, Lord, that they are in the midst of challenging and difficult times in their lives. I ask you, Lord, tonight, that, God, that you would breathe life, Lord, that to any coal of fire that seems to have diminished any dream Lord that seems like it's gone out I pray Lord tonight that you would help them God to be faithful Lord in the purpose God that you called them to fulfill in Jesus name we pray in Jesus name these altars are open you'd like to come up here and pray and talk to the Lord see just about where you're at this particular mile marker at your life I'm going to just tell you the Lord is for you 
I, I don't care how dark it is. I don't care how challenging it looks. If God has called you, He is going to fulfill His purpose in your life.